Yeah, I mean, my my mission is to, I mean, it's fairly simple. It's, uh, you know, assisting students with getting into, you know, medical school so that they can pursue their dream career. You know, my, I've never seen my job as, you know, deciding who should or shouldn't get in or anything like that. My goal is, you know, to help people who have this dream to achieve it. Because in my space, like I said, it's not a matter of, oh, if you don't get into this medical school, it's okay, you'll still become a doctor. No, some of our students are legit, without our support, might not become a physician. And so it's, I, I just think it's an enormous responsibility and one that I'm very grateful for to help people achieve their academic and career goals. And then yet there are other students who are rock stars, complete rock stars. And for them, their goal is to get into like a top 10 or a top 20 medical school. And our job is to help maximize that thing. Heroes are an inspiring group of people. Every one of them from the larger than life comic book heroes you see on the big silver screen, the everyday heroes that let us live the privileged lives we do. Every hero has a story to tell. From the doctor saving lives at your local hospital, to the war veteran down the street who risked his life for our freedom, to the police officers and the firefighters who risked their safety to ensure ours. Every hero is special and every story worth telling. But there is one class of heroes that I think is often ignored. The entrepreneur, the creator, the producer. The ones who look at the problems in this world and think to themselves, you know what? I can fix that. I can help people. I can make a difference. And they go out and do exactly that by creating a new product or introducing a new service. Some go on to change the world. Others make a world of difference to their customers. Welcome to The Hero Show. Join us as we pull back the masks on the world's finest heropreneurs and learn the secrets to their powers, their success, and their influence. So you can use those secrets to attract more sales, make more money, and experience more freedom in your business. I'm your host, Richard Matthews, and we are on in three, two, one. Welcome back to The Hero Show. My name is Richard Matthews. Today, I have the pleasure of having on the line Dr. Shirag Shimashian. Did I get that right? Yeah, that works great. Thank you. It's Dr. Shimashian. Thank you, Richard. Dr. Shimashian. It's a tough one. So, yeah, um, and, and you were telling me you're, uh, you have Lebanese heritage. Is that right? Yeah, so we're ethnically Armenian, uh, but my parents were born and raised in Lebanon. So they actually immigrated to the States from Lebanon in the late 70s. But I was born and raised here, specifically in Los Angeles. Nice. Yeah, I grew up in uh, just south of Los Angeles in um, Riverside like area, so Temecula, oh, nice. Marietta. So not too far from uh, from where you grew up. Um, yeah. So where yep. where are you now? Uh, so we're in San Diego. So forming a a triangle with your and my old yeah. stomping grounds, Richard. Um, so yeah, yeah, about a, an hour south of Temecula. San Diego is, uh, I, we travel full time, um, with my family and San Diego is my favorite of all the big cities, um, because it's clean and it's yeah. beautiful and the weather, weather is nice. <laughs> yep. It's pretty awesome. We, we feel very fortunate to live here. I feel like, you know, a couple of weeks in when my wife and I moved down here about five and a half years ago, you know, we got here and we were like, all right, I think we're good. Um, it, yeah. it's sort of hard to leave. I, I brought my wife out to Temecula, California, um, when we first got married. Well, it was about five years after we got married and we moved in in October. And if you've ever been to California in October, which I know you have, but it's heavenly. And she's like, I keep looking forward to winter to start. And I'm like, oh, this is winter, dear. The depths of winter. It's, you know, 72 degrees and sunny yeah. with a light breeze. And we're at the park and you can go to the beach and get ice cream. Like that's winter. Um, so, yep. yeah, you can choose yeah. that life. Absolutely. So for those of you who are following along with our podcast, um, and my wife and I's travels, we are uh, no longer in Florida. We're in Central Texas now um, for where we're go what we're doing. Uh, we'll be out we're actually on our way back to San Diego here shortly. We should be there for the holidays, which is really cool. Um, but what I want to do is do just a very brief introduction of you, and then we'll d dive into your story and find out a little bit about what you do. So Dr. Shamashian right. is the founder of Shamashian Academy Consulting, one of the world's foremost experts on medical school admissions, college admissions, and graduate school admissions. For nearly 20 years, you and your team have helped thousands of students get into med school and top colleges using your systematic and proprietary approach. So what I want you to start off with um, is why don't you tell me what it is that you're known for? What do you do? Who you serve? How you do it for them? Yeah, so we're we're best known for medical school admissions, I would say, and and also residency admissions. So people who are you know going from medical school into residency, um, and we've been doing this for a long, long time. And we assist students with every aspect of that process. So you know, as early as freshman year, when students have just started college and they're looking for assistance on course selection and extracurricular activity development, and you know, making sure that they're building relationships with the best rec letter writers and things of that nature. 
Um, and then over time, it changes, right? Because, you know, students will then go on to study for the MCAT, the MCAT for those who aren't familiar. You could think of it like the SAT or the ACT, but for medical school. So it's a big standardized test. It's, it's very difficult. So we help tutor with that. And then we also help with every aspect of the application process. So assisting uh, students with brainstorming and, you know, outlining and editing all of their essays. We assist with, you know, interview coaching, developing the right school list, the whole nine yards, really. Um, and, you know, by taking a very hands-on, uh, dedicated approach like this, you know, our students have been very successful over time. That's interesting. So what I want to find out is how you got into medical school admissions as a career, right? We talk on the show, every every hero has their origin story. Um, thing that made you into the hero you are today. We want to know basically where you came from. Did you, uh, you know, were you bit by a radioactive spider that made you want to get into uh, um, academic admissions or... Uh, did you start in a job and eventually move your way over? Basically, how did you get to where you are now? Yeah, so no, it was more genetic mutation a la X-Men. Um, I'm kidding. But, um, <laughs> you know, it, it was, you know, it just ha- kind of happened organically uh, out of necessity, Richard. So I, you know, I was going through, you know, my primary and secondary education and you know, going back to my parents' story about them, you know, immigrating to the States, they left Lebanon during a civil war uh, in the late 70s. And, you know, when they came to this country, they did so uh, because my dad actually, you know, was able to get into a master's program outside of St. Louis. And they were there two years before moving to L.A. And so, you know, education allowed them to have, you know, to leave a war-torn country, to have stability here, to have an opportunity really to make a better life um, for my brother and me. And so they were all about education, you know, go to school, get a good job, something that's respected, be a doctor, dentist, lawyer, you know, any immigrants out there listening or any kids of immigrants, you're probably chuckling because I feel like every, you know, every kid in my shoes uh, sort of has that same story of like, my parents told me to do X, Y, or Z. These were the options, almost like a limited menu. And, and so when we got yeah. to the stage of high school, you know, we, we went to a small Armenian school our entire lives, my brother and me. And so our teachers were immigrants. My college counselor was an immigrant. And so no one had really gone to school here. So when it was like, all right, cool, teachers, all right, parents, like, how do I do this? How do I go to school? How do I, you know, fulfill this like dream you guys have for me? They're like, I don't know, we didn't go to school here. And it was it was sort of up to us, like to figure it out. So it was like, do this thing. Oh, by the way, you also have to figure out how to do it. Um, yeah. And I was like, all right, uh, because that was what, you know, we we figured we had to do. Our parents told us to do X. We're like, all right, we're going to do that thing. And so I was self-taught in that regard of you know learning what it takes to get into top colleges and uh because if you wanted something outside of the la area like if you want to go somewhere other than ucla or uc irvine or usc or something like that you were kind of on your own Uh, i think i mean my high school's been around i think around 60 years i'm still the only person to have gone to an ivy league school so it's ultra rare um you know for for that kind of thing to happen and so i went to cornell i was pre-med there and again was studying everything i could because i wanted to go to medical school and didn't have a mentor to lean on and I actually did it very well there, but I decided to have a you know a shift where I decided to go into clinical psychology because I was doing a lot of work in mental health. And but along the way, I was you know self-taught with pre-med and helping other people get into medical school. And over time, word of mouth grew. People told people, you know, a friend told their cousin who was reaching out to me, and so on. And, you know, around grad school time too, I sort of caught like an entrepreneurial slash self-help self-development kind of bug and started reading a lot of books. And, and as the, you know, the requests were growing and growing, I was like, I think I'm, you know, I really enjoy this. My students are finding great value and they're getting in. So maybe I should do something here. And, and that's really what it was born out of. It wasn't like, uh, there was no, you know, I wasn't masterminding this at 10 years old being like, I want to be a med school admissions consultant. When I grew up, there was nothing like that. And so I, I, um, you know, very fortunately, I guess, worked my way into it. That's interesting. And so you've been doing this now for 20 years, is that right? Almost there. Yeah. Um, between 15 and 20, I, I believe about a year 18 now. Yeah, that's pretty amazing because there are very few businesses make it even past the first year, let alone the first five. And to be doing this for 18 years yep. is impressive. Um, so it means you're doing something right and your customers like what you're doing. What I want to find out is over the course of the, those years, have you discovered your superpower in this space, right? You know, we talk on this show every time, every hero has a superpower, whether that's a fancy flying suit made by genius intellect or the ability to call down thunder from the sky or super strength. 
In the real world, heroes have what I call a zone of genius, which is either a skill or a set of skills that you were born with or you developed over time that really help energize all your other skills. Right? And it's this superpower is what allows you to help your clients slay their villains and come out on top in their journeys. The way I like to frame that is if you look at your skills that you've, you have or you've developed, there's probably a common thread between all of those skills. And that common thread is where your superpower lies. So that framing, what do you think your superpower is? Yeah, I had a chance to think about this. And um, I think the, the clearest thread for me, uh, the thing that cuts across all the different things that, you know, I do well is really just being a good listener. Um, and, you know, that sounds, when I thought of that, I was like, man, that sounds a little bit cliche. I'm a good listener. But no, I, I mean, it, in an applied way, it's actually very critical for the work that I do. So if you think about everything from our customer journey, right? Like from people when they first learn about us to when they begin working with us and all that kind of stuff, all the way through their application cycle. I think that critical listening is probably the single most important thing in the work that I do. So, you know, I've had a lot of conversations with students and prospective applicants to medical school, to colleges, to residency. And you'll notice that a lot of them have, you know, the same hopes, fears, and dreams, right? They, they hope for similar things, um, they, they worry about the same thing. They're in a very tense period, right? They've been working their tail off for years. And now they're at the stage where they're applying to a particular set of programs. And this is, this is it. This is for all the marbles, right? And they have to now do it. And they're in a really tough spot. And, and they also communicate things in very similar ways. So in every customer base, I've found that, you know, people tend to use similar words to describe their problems, probably because they're part of the same community. There's, they use the same language and stuff like that. And that's allowed us, I mean, even from the way we produce our blog content to YouTube content, really using our customers' language and, uh, you know, their verbalized concerns and their dreams and stuff like that actually allows us to, to write our content in such a way that's as though we're speaking with them. I think that's a very critical piece already. And for, for people to understand that, hey, this person gets me. They know what I'm going through. They probably know what I need. And then when I have a consultation with a family, just again, really listen, because every student's situation is different. One student has a higher GPA than others. Others have, you know, a better extracurricular profile than others. Others have better rec letters than others. And, and this is sort of this, you know, amalgamation of things that allows us to figure out how to best support this person. And by taking all that information in, and, you know, putting it together, we, we can best help our students. And then, of course, at the application stage, students, you know, come to us, Richard, with like their resume and their grades. And they're like, all right, what do I write about? I'm staring at a blank piece of paper. I don't know what to produce. And can you help me? And it's getting to know their path to medicine. What makes them tick? What was the genesis of that thing? And piecing together different aspects of their story that makes them them. And so, you know, when thinking about superpowers, it's really that one piece that's the foundation of really everything we do. Um, because if you rush things, you don't listen, you don't put the student first, you don't actually hear what they're telling you as far as their concerns or how to position them, everything falls apart. Yeah, that's really interesting. And one of the things that I, I like about that um, is, you know, I, I work in the marketing space where we help other businesses, um, you know, reach their market and communicate with them. And one of the things I find myself repeating over and over again to clients, no matter what it is we're doing or what we're marketing or what space we're in, is what is the language of your community? Uh, because language is really what ties a community together. And so we do things on both sides of the community aspect of when someone's a prospect to when they become a client or become a, part, a member of your community um, is what is the language that they're using so you can communicate to them in that language. And then once they become a customer or they become a member of your community, what is the type of language that you use um, as a yep. as that as a community member to invite them in, right? Because the way that you get someone to take ownership in whatever it is that you do and whatever community that you have a part of is you you build them into the language, right? When they understand your jargon and your your I don't know what you call them, all the different little words that we use in our communities, um, that's how yeah. people become a part of a part of that so it's it's interesting that like that's what one of the things you've noticed is the the foundational piece in your business is that ability to listen and communicate because that's it's foundational for like the entire human experience but particularly with with marketing and sales and growing a company for sure and it's hard you know like it's one of yeah. those things richard i will defer to you as the expert on that but 
you know, I found a lot of times when, you know, when I've talked to friends who, who want to maybe start an organization and they're like, how do I found prospective customers and all these kinds of things? I'm like, well, go like, listen to your, listen to your market and actually talk to people. Yeah. They're like, okay, okay. And like almost no one does. Uh, they don't, you know, they, yeah. they keep trying, ah, nothing's working. I'm going to switch this, sign up for a new newsletter, you know, email software and all this kind of stuff. I'm like, no, at the end of the day, like our stuff is very simple. Like, you know, as far as our, our structure behind the, you know, behind marketing stuff and all this kind of stuff, but the, but the language and the psychology is very complicated. Right. And so uh, a mentor of mine, Ramit Sethi, um, you know, whose courses I signed I up for years ago yeah. and who's just been, yeah, he's, he's terrific. And I mean, he's the person who, you know, really just emphasized the things that I, you know, intuitively sense of like, actually these people that you're going to serve, they're going to tell you what they need. And, you know, he, you know, he obviously puts a, a great package around how to actually do that deliberately, but um, he's just taught me so, so much about how to go about doing that and an excellent resource. Yeah. I went through one course of his that uh, I, um, I implemented right after I went through it and made me a over a hundred thousand dollars a year for the next couple of years. So, you know, that's I'm great. A fan of Ramis Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I want to talk about the, the flip side of your superpower, right? And the flip side of every superpower is of course the fatal flaw. So you know, just like Superman has his kryptonite or wonder woman can't remove her bracelets of victory without going mad. You probably had something that's held you back in growing your business, something you struggled with. For me, it was a couple of things as I grew in my, my company, I struggled with perfectionism for a lot of, t- a lot of years, which means I wasn't shipping product. Um, and I struggled with lack of self-care, which means that I had poor boundaries. I had poor boundaries with my time, poor boundaries with my clients, um, and other things that sort of kept me from actually being able to grow the way that I wanted to and needed to. So what do you think your fatal flaw has been and how have you worked to overcome it so that, you know, our audience might learn a little from, from your growth? Yeah, I think, you know, symptom wise, um, kind of similar to what you just said, Richard, about, you know, the boundary issue. It's hard for me to unplug, right? My mind's always thinking about things. I wake up, I'm thinking about issues and uh, all these different things and, you know, maybe not having as much fun or spending as much time with my family as I always want to. Um, Those are all true. And and, and I've thought about like, why is this? Um, And I think that a lot of it is almost like a, I don't know how to quite put it, but, you know, maybe being too emotional about the business Uh, in, in the sense that like when you, when you have an intense level of care, you're like, I, this has to work. I had, you know, whatever you're, you're basically, you know, really obsessive about making sure that it works. And that has those ripple effects, right? Like working on things way later, harder to stop thinking about some of these issues and so on and so forth. And also having a hard time pulling back, you know, as we've, as we've hired more staff and assisted more people, you know, we, we've had, we've added more pieces to our team and there are people on our team who even after training and stuff like that, I found myself at times like not quite letting go of certain things that I used to do. And I think, again, it points to that, um, just like maybe being perfectionistic, like you say, or having that like intense investment emotionally and otherwise in in the business and like making sure that you're going to do whatever it takes for it to not only work, but to work well. Um, those are also the things that um, resonated with me. So everything you said was, was uh, I was like, man, he sounds like me. Um, so thank you yeah. for sharing that. Yeah, I know one of, the, one of the things that I've really noticed is that your superpower and your fatal flaw a lot of times are, are just opposites of the same, the same sure. like core aspect. Like, so for me, I'm very, I, I, my superpower is in like the systems and seeing how to develop and, and build systems and automations and things that like the, the underpinnings of how things yeah. work. That's what I'm really good at. And because I'm that way, I'm very in, interested in efficiency and things to work exactly the way that I want them to. So like the, the, the problem that comes out of that is that it, it manifests itself in, in being a perfectionist which means that like things never get shipped. Right. So like I have to, I have to, I have to overcome that. And it sounds like yours is very similar. If your superpower is in that listening, which is really a form of empathy um, and an ability to really care deeply about someone else that caring deeply means that when it goes too far, you can't disconnect. You can't unplug. You can't, you can't like turn yourself off enough to, to like actually take care of yourself. Um, and yeah, so it's, it's interesting that, uh, that how those, how, how your superpower also sort of becomes a little bit of your fatal flaw. Yeah, absolutely. Different sides to the same coin. Absolutely. 
So I want to talk a little bit then about your clients and one of the enemies that they have to fight. We call this your common enemy, right? And every superhero has an arch nemesis. And it's a thing that they constantly have to fight against in their world. In the world of business, we generally, again, we put it in the context of your clients and it's a mindset or a flaw that you regularly have to fight against once they sign on the dotted line with you, right? Um, so that you can actually get them the result they came to you for. Right. And, you know, if you had your magic wand and you could just bop every new client on the head and be like, boop, you don't have to deal with that anymore. What is that common enemy yeah. that you constantly see rearing its head in your business? Ooh, um, preconceived notions uh, about what it takes to get in. Um, and I think it's really, you know, I, I sort of pin it on just the stuff that people hear and read and the echo chambers that they're in. So, you know, speaking about my particular, you know, the students that we serve. Um, there's so much hearsay within the pre-med community. So there's a lot, it's a high anxiety group of people. You know, these people might not be anxious in other areas of their life necessarily, but they're very, very, very anxious usually when it comes to medical school admissions. Because again, it's not like a thing where, ah, if that doesn't work out, like if you don't work out one story, you'll work out another. It's not like that. This is the difference between you get to become a doctor or you do a completely different career, you know? And so there's a lot of intensity in this community and a lot of concern and they go to school with students who are very high achieving they're probably you know they might have been top of the heap in their high school but then they go to a good school and they're just one of many students who are top of the heap in their high school right and so the competition is high there are a lot of rumors that circulate oftentimes they're wrong uh, they read stuff on these like reddit and other message boards about are they good you know are they in a strong enough position to get in or not and there's all this hearsay that's sort of transmitted from one person to another. And what ends up happening is they bring that to their work with you. And, you know, they'll talk about, hey, what are my chances, strengths and weaknesses? You talk about, hey, this is a concern, but this is actually not a concern, whatever. Or, you know, it's not all about grades. It's about extracurriculars as well and essays. And they're like, yeah, yeah, I totally get it. And then the moment you're helping them, they're like, but my grades. But it, it's almost like, they, you know, they, they get pulled back to you know the anxiety that they came in with and it's very hard to help them unlearn some of those preconceived notions that they came in with in other words it's not just an issue of providing correct information i mean how many things do we know in this world where it's like you know someone believes wrong information you provide them the right information but it's not just the lack of information that's the issue. It's the it's the emotionality behind it, the part, the group they identify with that really, you know, makes it difficult for them to let it go. Right. And yeah. and so that's the kind of thing that we're always fighting against of like, hey, look, believe me, I've done this many, many times with many, many students. I promise, you know, in in your case, you don't need to worry about this thing. They're like, but I read online. And I'm like, well, is it what you read online or this person who's done it millions of times? Right. Like, so that's the kind of tide we're fighting against. And um, you know, I wish it was the case of like, hey, you know, student, this is the correct answer. And they're like, got it. Thanks, coach. And you move on. But it just doesn't work that way. And that's just true of everyone, right? Like if you're a weight loss coach or in fitness or something like this, it's not just that someone doesn't know what to eat or doesn't know what workout to do. And once you provide them the info, everything, no, there's so much stuff about adherence and and patterns that you have to break and emotions around their weight and exercise and responsibilities. Those are the real challenges that we see in our work. Yeah, that's interesting. One of the, it reminds me of one of my, uh, one of my favorite metaphors I use for, cause, cause one of the things we do is, um, I, I help businesses take their expertise and then package it up into education that helps that can help their students accomplish whatever goal they teach, right? Whether that's weight loss or college admissions or whatever, and one of the, the baseline metaphors we use for helping experts teach other people is like when you're teaching something, you're not we're not generally teaching like English skills or math skills that you just have to learn. Right. We're teaching stuff that yeah. someone has to like they, ha they have to change who they are as a person and take action on new things. Right. In order to get the yep. result that they're looking for. So it, it's an identity thing. And so when you're teaching things that change people's identities, you have to teach differently. Um, and so one, my metaphor that I use for that is something I call the, uh, the crocodile infested river. And you have on one side of the crocodile infested river, you have the person and their levels of awareness, whatever problem that they have. 
and the levels of awareness are what, why, how, and now. And I'll talk about that in just a second. And then you have the actual crocodile-infested river, which is the problem that they have to overcome, in your case, college admissions. And then the other side of the river is the promised land. That's like, I've already been admitted to college. I'm going to school. I'm doing whatever I wanted, I wanted to do, right? That's life in the promised land, life afterwards. So us, our job as the one who's communicating to these people that have this problem on the other side of the crocodile-infested river is to find out where are they with the levels of awareness. And so the the levels of awareness are the what, why, how, and now. And the what is like the first part of that awareness is, do I know what that problem is, right? So you show up at the doctor one day and the doctor says, well, you're fat, sick, and nearly dead. And your response is what, <laughs> right? Cause I don't, you know, it, that's that's the very first level of awareness is they have to be aware that there is a problem. Um, and then the next, the next level of awareness is, well, why? Why do I have that problem? And that's where you identify the enemies, right? And the identity, you know, if, it's, if you're fat, sick, and nearly dead, maybe it's your diet and your lack of exercise or whatnot. And so you have, you have enemies that you've identified. And then you have the how, which is, okay, now that I know that I have a problem and the reason I have the problem, how do I fix it? Well, you know, you're going to have to change your diet and change your exercise, or you're going to have to do extracurriculars and, and, you know, not worry so much about your grades or whatever it is you get to college admissions. And then you have the now. Now is, okay, I have all those things down. I'm standing on the precipice, on the edge of the river, looking out at the crocodile-infested river, and I actually have to swim across. And I have to fight the crocodiles and avoid the tide pools and all those things. How am I ever going to make it across this river? That's where you come in, because you have a boat. A captain, right? You're a captain right. of a boat. It's like, I've been across this river a hundred times, and I have a boat with cool lasers. It I've got the crocodile disintegrating lasers, and we have GPS that helps us navigate the tide pools and the whole bit. And you can get on the boat with me, and I can help you across this journey. Um, and so and you can help take them to the promised land. So anyways, when you were talking about like that, the problem that you run into is these preconceived notions that people have is like, they may not even know what the problems are, right? They don't even know what it looks like to cross the river. Um, and that's where you have to come in and really help educate them and, and show them what it looks like. Um, and you have to communicate that with them depending on where they are in those levels of awareness. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, uh, you know, understanding why someone's dealing with something is so critical because you might think they have an informational problem but they don't uh it's something completely different or maybe they they do have an informational problem and so getting at the crux of that is key yeah absolutely and it's an interesting it's an interesting thing to deal with because you can't um you can't just change someone's like thoughts and attitudes on things they have to they have to do that work themselves all you can do it's like bring them the information um, and show them where, where like the blind spots are. And then they have to take that and, and do something with it. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That's our job. Yeah. So if your common enemy is something that you fight against, then your driving force is something that you fight for, right? So the, uh, you know, just like Spider-Man fights to save New York or Batman fights to save Gotham or Google fights to index and categorize all the world's information. I want to know what it is that you fight for in your company, your mission, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, my my mission is to, I mean, it's fairly simple. It's, uh, you know, assisting students with getting into, you know, medical school so that they can pursue their dream career. You know, my, I've never seen my job as, you know, deciding who should or shouldn't get in or anything like that. My goal is, you know, to help people who have this dream to achieve it. Because in my space, like I said, it's not a matter of, oh, if you don't get into this medical school, it's okay, you'll still become a doctor. No, some of our students are legit, without our support, might not become a physician. And so it's, I, I just think it's an enormous responsibility and one that I'm very grateful for to help people achieve their academic and career goals. And then yet there are other students who are rock stars, complete rock stars. And for them, their goal is to get into like a top 10 or a top 20 medical school. And our job is to help maximize that thing. And ultimately, you know, our, the thing that's changed for us over time, you know, Richard, when you're, when you're earlier on, you know, you, you want to help people, you want to hone your craft, you want to help people get in and increase word of mouth and all those different things and serve people well. But as you know, but as things have grown for us and we've had the opportunity to, to touch and to reach more people, um, you know, I've sort of been thinking more and more critically about values and sort of the impact we want to make on this community at large. And one of the big, big things that we have, you know, focused on um, as of late is increasing diversity in medicine, um, because we found that, you know, there, there are the obvious things like our one-on-one -on -one services, they're, they're, they don't require a trivial investment. In other words, they're not cheap, right? And so there's a subset of families who can afford them and other families who simply can't. And 
there are a few ways we've uh, we've started to combat this in recent years. Number one is people who qualify for fee assistance with their applications. We also give need-based financial aid. We give partial financial aid to people. Um, we've started to produce more and more free materials for people, like for test prep, so that even if someone can't afford a test prep book, everything they need to know about the MCAT is on our website. That's something that now exists. Um, we've also... Uh, pledged $100,000 to, you know, move forward diversity initiatives within our company and within the medical community. So, you know, recruiting more students from low-income backgrounds to get our services. We're working on some initiatives to help doctors who do come from minority backgrounds and help them, you know, get better jobs and to be leaders in their field. Because it's not just about helping people who are traditionally unrepresented to become doctors. That's just the first step. It's about making sure that they're in the community doing great things so that others see them and realize like, hey, even these people who are traditionally underrepresented, they're they're just as good as everybody else and they should have the same level of authority as everybody else. Um, and that's some of the stuff that I've been really obsessed with lately. Yeah, that's really interesting. And it's a it's it's a bigger mission than just getting people into college. And you know, this this is potentially a, a rumor. I don't know if this is true or not, but I, I had heard that the medical community is, while it's incredibly com- competitive, there have been there have been uh, less people getting into it. Like there there's a shortage of, of people going into the medical community and that we need more of them. Is that true or is that is that just a rumor that I've heard? It's it's true. But there's an, it requires more explanation. There's a lot more nuance. So, you know, it, whether a community is underserved really depends on which community you're talking about. So if I go to Boston or San Diego, there isn't really a shortage of physicians in those places, right? There, there are certainly a lot of uh, physicians in primary care and in specialists and stuff like that. Um, so there are, there are two issues that I think plague our country. Well, probably, I mean, there are de- more than two issues um, that plague our country as far as, you know, representation and care and stuff like that. Um, of course, there's the issue of, you know, not enough doctors in rural areas. That's huge. So if you go to somewhere that's sparsely populated, there are just very, very few doctors supporting those people. Another big problem is that we have so many specialists in this country and not enough primary care physicians. And we're very unique in that way. So we have a lot of like surgeons and dermatologists and all these kinds of things. But we have relatively few like generalists or internists or family medicine physicians and stuff like that who can see more people for, you know, for more common issues before they even become more serious issues, before they require that cancer surgery or whatever the case might be. Right. Those are really critical things. Um, I mean, you know, not that that long ago, um, you know, Female students were underrepresented in medical school. Now we actually have more female students in medical schools than males. But obviously, it takes time for stuff to balance out within the workforce, right? Because these people have to actually get jobs. They have to go up the ranks and stuff like this. So we have to break certain gender barriers. Those are really critical. Uh, Minority, uh, you know, uh, individuals or people from minority backgrounds, whether low income or people of color, traditionally underrepresented in medicine, still underrepresented in medicine, certainly in key leadership roles. So these are the kinds of things that really plague us, um, you know, as a country within medicine, in addition to all the usual stuff around like health insurance and access and things of this nature. But even from the admission standpoint, yes, you can make a change today. But for those people to not only become doctors, but to assume leadership positions and change things, that's decades long work. You know, you may make a decision today to change the way you recruit students, but you might not see the full benefit of that until 20, 30 years from now and beyond. Yeah. So so the work you're doing now is going to have an impact for a long time in our medical community. Yeah, that's the goal. And, you know, I know it's uh, sometimes it's like, man, you got to have that long term horizon and you want more immediate impact and stuff like that. But again, healthcare is not something that's going to get old in 20 years. Right. So. Um, focusing on the long game, uh, I think, is just so just critical. People for us. that are old in twenty years. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So um, I want to talk a little bit, then um, completely shift gears and talk about some practical things um, for running your business, right? And I call this your hero's tool belt. Sure. Um, and just like every superhero has a tool belt with awesome gadgets like batarangs and web slingers and laser eyes. Um, or even big magical hammers. Um, I want to talk about the top one or two tools you use every day that you couldn't live without to run your business. Could be anything from your notepad to your calendar to something you use for marketing or your product delivery. 
um, your service delivery, something that is, you think is essential to getting your job done? Oh, um, for me, I'm a big email nerd. Um, and so I love using something called Mozilla Thunderbird. So if people are familiar with Firefox, it's the same people who develop Thunderbird. It's essentially a place where you can have multiple email addresses, um, you know, that are integrated and you can just like jump from one address to another. It also itemizes emails. I really dislike how in Gmail in the web browser, you know, emails get clumped together and it's very easy to miss stuff and it's hard to know who was CC'd and which email you need to respond to. Thunderbird makes that a cinch uh, and I love using Thunderbird. Um, beyond that, I mean, I'm a pretty simple guy. Uh, as far I've sort of like optimized the way I do email and, you know, I, I, I code messages with certain subject lines and that works exceptionally well for me. Um, other things, I mean, I, I use MailChimp for, for email marketing. That's been valuable to me. So nothing, I don't, I don't know that I have like a secret, secret gadget or anything like that, but those tools, you know, I've, I've optimized them for my workflow and I'm really happy with the way they work. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. The, uh, you're probably the first person that has mentioned anything related to email in almost 200 episodes. The most common tool that people re refer to as entrepreneurs is their calendar. Um, and so it's, interesting oh yeah, I use like Calendly. I love that. Use Calendly. Yeah, I think yeah. you know calendar stuff is is super important. But yeah, email email is one of those things that like I use Gmail and I hate it. Um, but I hate like everything that I've tried that's not Gmail. So I'm like I haven't yet. Maybe I haven't tried Thunderbird yet though. So maybe that's my solution is I need to try pulling my email into something like that. You know. Um, and, seeing, and I'll warn you, like sometimes people who you know I recommend it to, they're like ah, I don't know how to use it. Whatever. I'm like so if you ever want to chat Thunderbird, um, they don't. I, they don't I, they don't pay me to say any of this. I don't know anybody who works there, um, but I love, love, love their software. And it just makes my work so much easier. Yeah, that's good to know. I'll have to, to have to test that out. I've been trying one called Spark and I thought it was working really well for about a week. And then I just started missing things and things started going away. And I was like, mm, that's not going to work. I got to go back to my my Gmail stuff. And it's like Gmail is like the standard and it's not that great, but everything else is sort of like the same. <laughs> Yeah. Why, why, why have a horizontal yeah, move? Yeah. And now a quick word from our show's sponsor. Hey there, fellow podcaster. Having a weekly audio and video show on all the major online networks that builds your brand, creates fame and drives sales for your business doesn't have to be hard. I know it feels that way because you've tried managing your show internally and realize how resource intensive it can be. You felt the pain of pouring eight to 10 hours of work into just getting one hour of content published and promoted all over the place. You see the drain on your resources, but you do it anyways because you know how powerful it is. Heck, you've probably even tried some of those automated solutions and ended up with stuff that makes your brand look cheesy and cheap. That's not helping grow your business. Don't give up though. The struggle ends now. Introducing Push Button Podcasts, a done-for-you service that will help you get your show out every single week without you lifting a finger after you've pushed that stop record button. We handle everything else, uploading, editing, transcribing, writing, research, graphics, publication, and promotion, all done by real humans who know, understand, and care about your brand almost as much as you do. Empowered by our own proprietary technology, our team will let you get back to doing what you love while we handle the rest. Check us out at pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero for 10% off the lifetime of your service with us and see the power of having an audio and video podcast growing and driving micro celebrity status and business in your niche without you having to lift more than a finger to push that stop record button. Again, that's pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero. See you there. And now back to the hero show. So I want to talk then about your own personal heroes, right? So, you know, every hero has their mentors. Frodo had Gandalf, Luke had a woman, Kenobi, Robert Kiyosaki had his rich dad, and even Spider-Man had his uncle Ben. Um, who were some of your heroes? Were they peers? Were they uh, speakers, authors, um, you know, real life mentors? And how important were they to what you've accomplished so far in the last 18 years growing your, um, your, your consulting business? Yeah, you know, people have asked me before, like, who do you look up to or who's your mentor or whatnot? And, you know, I used to struggle to identify like one person who has been this like key mentor to me along the way. And frankly, I've had different mentors at different stages. And I found that I have different mentors for different things. So, you know, I might have one mentor who whom I love getting like business advice from, but I would never go to them for advice on family or 
uh, or Christianity or anything like that, right? And then there are other people that I would go to for spiritual leadership that I would never ask business questions, right? And by, and, and and all over the place. But I mean, there have been some critical people in my life for sure. Um, so, you know, you mentioned Robert Kiyosaki and people, you know, really debate, you know, how good is Rich Dad, Poor Dad, is the advice good and all this kind of stuff. But I mean, that was the first book that I read that really sparked my entrepreneurial journey. So while I never, you know, that's been a foundational sort of piece for me. And so that was sort of my initial mentor, if you will. And um, Dale Carnegie is another author who whose work has just really inspired yeah. me. Um, how to Win Friends and Influence People is probably my single favorite book. Um, as far as, you know, entrepreneurship goes and people read it and it sounds so, so simple and it does sound simple, but it's not simple. Implementing it is a whole different thing and people struggle with it all the time. Um, and then Ramit Sethi, who, who's been exceptionally influential in my life as far as learning marketing and sales and um, how to listen to your customers, how to build a business that's sustainable and grows and does so comfortably. And he's just been an exceptional mentor. Um, a gentleman, uh, Ron Regenstrife, who was introduced to me by my pastor. My pastor in San Diego knew this gentleman at a sister church up in LA. And uh, this guy, you know, he he basically started a lighting company and they do like commercial lighting. So like if you're going to build a theme park or a big office building, they do all the lighting, you know, soup to nuts, basically. Um, and he, um, you know, he has three grown sons and I think eight grandchildren. Or so, And he's taught me a lot about not only how to think about a company, but how to grow something uh, in a way that also blesses your family uh, and where you maintain a relationship with Christ along the way and prioritize those things. He's been an exceptional mentor to me. Um, so again, it's just like there's so many people along the way and I, and I look to different people for different things. Um, and it's just, been a, it's just been a real blessing um, to have that person or those people in my life. Yeah, I know the that's one of the things that I I learned early on because I, I I was like fourteen or fifteen when I got that lesson about having to pick your mentors based on the area that you wanted to learn from them in, and yep. um, I remember it was it was kind of a shocking thing to realize that someone that I respected and really looked up to in certain areas of my life, when it came to other areas, they weren't great mentors in, and I remember because I was yep. young at the time, it was like, oh. Uh, it was very surprising and I didn't quite know how to deal with it at that point in my life. Um, but I remember yeah. very specifically learning that lesson at about 14 or 15 years old and realizing that I've got areas of my life. Like I have spiritual mentors and I have business mentors and I have, um, you know, have uh, family mentors like, you know, raising kids and that kind of stuff. And like they, they don't have to be the same person yeah. um, because not everyone is perfect. <laughs> no one is actually. Yep. Um, but we all have our strengths and weaknesses and the people that um, that you can you have to choose choose where to, uh, to, to learn from people. Um, so yeah, that was, that was, that's an important lesson to learn. And I know a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with that. Because, um, mm -hmm. you know, you think, oh, I have to find a mentor, because you hear that all the time. And in a space, you should have a mentor or a coach. Um, and then you try to look for that perfect person. And they don't exist. <laughs> So. Yeah. You also might not be ready for them. I remember when learning about mentors, you know, I reached out to a few people like, will you be my mentor? It was like a weird, I was very awkward. It was like, will you be my girlfriend? You know, that kind of question, but like okay. way too early kind of thing. Um, and I didn't quite know what I needed or what I wanted. So my requests were non-specific. And so there has to be an alignment between what you're looking for, who the person is. And if they're also in a stage where they can devote that energy to you, right? And if you can actually implement what they say and follow up with them, I mean, all this stuff is critical, but you're right, Richard. I, I'm so glad that you learned that lesson earlier than I did uh, as far as, you know, having different mentors for different things, because it's almost like realizing, you know, the way I've, I've read about it in some books is like, you know, that moment when you realize like your, your dad's not perfect. Like you look up to him when yeah. you're really little and then you realize, Ooh, like they're, you know, he's not perfect or my mom's not perfect or whatever, or my favorite athlete, you know, um, I grew up a big Laker fan. I'm like, Kobe Bryant, he's not perfect. Oh my gosh, that's weird. You know, like, um, and so having those realizations really just allows you to think about, okay, what do I want to build for my life and for my family's life? Um, and then, you know, who are the people whom I look up to? And, and those are, and what do I look up to them for? And then, you know, seek their specific mentorship for those things. And it can actually be a really beautiful, men you know, friendship. Like, this gentleman, Ron, he's, um, I don't quite know his age, but I would venture early to mid seventies. And I, I genuinely consider him a friend, you know, 
Um, and I talk to him every week uh, and we have a really nice relationship. And that's not something that I would have been able to have had I not sought it and had not been like specific in my intention for that. So uh, he's just been an exceptional blessing. Yeah, that's uh, it's very true. So speaking of mentors, one of the things that I learned from some of my mentors were some of my guiding principles. And one of the things that makes heroes heroic is that they live by a code. For instance, Batman never kills his enemies. He only ever brings them to Arkham Asylum. So as we wrap up the interview, get near to the end of this, um, I'm going to talk about the top one or two principles that you live your life by, right? Um, maybe something you wish you knew when you first started out 20 years ago with your consultancy um, growing this. What's some of your guiding principles? I mean, one probably the single biggest guiding principle and... Um, it, you know, and this has been, I think, pretty true since we started, um, you know, putting students best interest first. If when whenever that's been applied. It yields excellent results in the good and the bad times. Right. So, you know, sometimes a student might fall off the map and they'll come back and whatnot. And, you know, you have to do what's in your student's best interest. It also sometimes means that, you know, putting, you know, your student's best interest first means you know, tough love, right? About like them not pulling their weight maybe and checking in more and, you know, being like, if you really want this, this is what you have to do, right? Because that's how you're going to coach them up. Um, and, you know, it's been hard, you know, we re our response times on emails and essays is really fast. We work nice, we work weekends. Um, and, you know, that's been hard, I think, you know, on our team at times, especially during crunch times. But when we've put our students' best interests first, like they're more successful, um, and, you know, we can celebrate them and, and good things happen for the company. But but when you use that foundationally for us, it, it's worked wonders. Yeah, and it's it's such an important thing for for I think every business to realize is that you are not in business for yourself. You're in business to help your customers, your clients overcome some sort of a problem. Right. And and to solve something. And it doesn't matter which business you're in. That's the truth to the truth of it. So really, you know, your customers are, you know, for lack of a better term, your customers are the boss um, and you yep. work for them. And so when you when you put when you put their interests first, that's when your business is going to grow and thrive. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's hard to really apply that rule. Because, you know, sometimes we, you know, we want what's in it for us and we want to maybe take that night off or whatever. And but, you know, doing it the hard way, so long as it's the right way, um, you know, usually pays off. Yeah, yeah, it reminds me of uh, um, the Sermon on the Mount and people all the times they, they think that Jesus was up on the Sermon on the Mount and giving the commandments on this is how you should live life. And I think that's a, a misconception. I think the uh, the proper way to think about that is he's like, hey, I authored the universe and these are the laws of the land. And if you want to operate, you know, under the laws of the land, this is how they work. First you give, then you shall receive. Right. That's that's not like a sure. it's not like a, you should do this. It's just a that's how that's how the world works. <laughs> right. If you it jump out of the is. building, yeah. you're going to go down. Gravity. Gravity is a thing. <laughs> and so anyways, that's the way I like to think about that. And that, I think that guiding principle yeah. of, you know. It's that's how businesses work. Is there an exchange of value, and you you have to put your customers first um, in order for your business to grow? Sure, I'm with you. Yeah. So that's basically a wrap on our interview. Um, <clears throat> but I do finish every interview with a challenge. It's a simple challenge I call the Heroes Challenge, and I do this to help get access to stories I might not otherwise find on my own because not everyone's out doing the podcast rounds like you and I might be doing. Um, so the question is simple. Do you have someone in your life or in your network that you think has a cool entrepreneurial story? Who are they? First names are fine. And why should they come and share their story with us here on The Hero Show? That's the first person that comes to mind for you. Ooh, um, I would uh, nominate my buddy um, Zahir Dasa. Might be hard to get in touch with him because he had a, you know, a new beautiful baby girl. Um, but he's someone that I met through um, the same fellowship that we received over a decade ago. It's called the Soros Fellowship. And so here's a really fascinating guy, um, you know, went to MIT for his undergrad and for his um, for his PhD. And he started a personalized hair care company. Um, and I think it's probably valued over a billion dollars now. And he's done very well for himself. So he builds custom shampoos for people. And what I really admire about him is just like he, man, you know, 
just the way he has so deliberately grown his company and the risks he's taken on in terms of capital and whatnot and been very intentional for where it needs to be. He recently hired a CEO so that he can, you know, be like chairman of the board. It's just someone that I really look up to as far as his thoughtfulness and the way he approaches like very uh, what some people would consider like risky decisions. He has like a calm about him. He's like, yeah, this is very, but like, I, I know it's going to work. I've thought about it. And he takes very educated bets in doing things. Um, so he's someone that I really, really admire in that way. Um, so if you, if you can get him on, man, I would, I would totally applaud you. And, and I would love to listen in on that. Awesome. Well, I'll, we'll reach out later and see if maybe we can get an introduction going. Not everyone says yes, but when they do, they tend to be some of our coolest episodes. So, um, in comic books, there's always the crowd of people who clap and cheer for the acts of heroism. So our analogous to that is where can people find you? Where can they light up the bat signal, so to speak, and say, you know, hey, how can you help us with our college admissions? And I think more importantly than where can they go is who are the right types of people to reach out and actually light up that bat signal and ask for your help? Yeah. Um, so as far as where to find us, um, you know, visiting our website, shemasianconsulting.com. Richard, I, I assume you will post to it in the show notes because hard to yeah, spell. Yeah, we'll put links to it. Uh, in the and show again, notes. going back to no formal business knowledge, you know, it's like name my business Shamasian Consulting. Maybe, you know, it's hard to say. Uh, I don't know if that's the best idea, but here we are. Um, and uh, as far as, and, you know, there are easy contact forms to find and things like that in our email address. As far as the ideal, you know, student or customer, I mean, it's really anyone who really, really, really wants to become a doctor. Um, again, I, I don't discriminate based on, oh, this person has this grade or that grade or anything like that. My job is to help you maximize your odds of, you know, pursuing your dream career. So, um, if you, if that's your actual passion and you're willing to work your tail off for it, then we'll do the same. Awesome. Thank you so much for that. We'll definitely make sure there's links to, um, your website and everything in the show notes. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story today and getting to hear a little bit about what you do. Um, I said that, you know, we have people from all sorts of industries all over the place over the uh, the course of this show. And I've never had anyone who does yep. medical school admissions before. That's a very tight niche, right? And mm -hmm. it's fascinating to sort of hear what did you do and the problems that you guys run into. And again, how similar business is no matter where you put it. Um, so yes. again, thank you so much for coming on and share, sharing your story today. Um, do you have any final words of wisdom for my audience before I hit this uh, stop record button? No, I think we've covered so much. And, you know, if people just take, you know, one thing away, it's just listen to your customers, put their best interests first, you'll probably be fine. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on today. Mm -hmm.